Well, cheers, we gotta, gentlemen. We gotta do the clink. We gotta we gotta do a nice clink to welcome our new associate. Yes, imagine that a new face on the podcast. Welcome to the office. Thank you. Um, you're already doing great things. So you're aware that this is the thing that we do all the time. This podcast, you got sucked into doing it. So thanks for joining us. Yes. Yes. And we're gonna we're we're doing a follow up. In a way, too, we've already discussed the situation of Russell Brand. And yeah, but you have to tell everyone his name. I don't think you said I it, did, did you? It's Nick. Nick. Nick Whitfield. Nick Whitfield, that's right. Yes. Very British and, sounding. And we're doing a follow-up on, on a, the case of Russell Brand, who's uh, from the UK. He's been accused of uh, sexual assault and sexual misconduct and a bunch of other things, which has now gone to a police investigation. And interestingly, Nick is from the UK. Yes, I am, um, uh, although in Canada now since 2011, so it's been a while since I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember Russell Brand uh, being tremendously popular uh, as I grew up. He was on Big Brother's Big Mouth, I think, was his, his break into mainstream TV. Uh, and he stayed popular in the UK as a stand-up comedian. He did various panel shows too. I think then he moved to the US around 2011 for his film career. Um, came back to the UK at some point and really became a populist figure on the left and was uh, sort of hailed by uh, left-wing news outlets like The Guardian, for example, mm-hmm. uh, who gave him various platforms through the years. And then in more recent years, he's gone, sort of swung the other direction towards uh, conspiracy theories often. Uh, X-Files. X-Files, yeah. <laughs> in his, uh, I think he had two, two uh, had a YouTube channel and also a channel on Rumble. Uh, and so he's moved, for the most part, away from, from mainstream media and is, is very critical of it on, on, his, uh, on his two platforms. Right. Oh. And that's interesting. One platform now, I think, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting, too, like you mentioned that he was considered to be very, very leftist, almost communist, I think. I would have seen some of his views as being very socialist, communist uh, leaning. And then now he's being criticized as being far right. And so... He, and he's claiming that this is the reason why these accusations are coming out, because he's being persecuted. Okay. So, you know, this is, and, and you mentioned that he's on Rumble as well. That's one of the things we kind of touched on, uh, that, uh, that YouTube instantly demonetized him, apparently on the request of an MP and other pressures that, that they were under and so on. But they instantly demonetized his channel, even though he's not been convicted of anything. So that's kind of an issue. Demonet- shut down or just demonetize? No, he can post videos, but he can't. He can't make money right, off them. Right, right. So he can yeah. still post, as and far as I know. Potentially, they're going to monitor and delete some of his content. Well, of and, course, you know, censorship. Sort of of thing, course, right. And so, one of the things I noticed is that since all this went down, and since our last podcast too, people have been going on and on about him doing because he's continuing to produce content. Right. But he's got these big wild eyes and he looks like a lunatic or like he's manic or something like that. And it's like, we know what happens to people when they're accused, especially when it's made public and it's not just something that they're dealing with their private life. That's not surprising to me. No, why would it be? Yeah. But he's maintaining his shtick and nothing's really changed in how he presents himself, right? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't actually tune into Rumble, so I haven't seen his latest videos. I always <laughs> thought he looked slightly crazy. Like a lunatic? Yeah. yeah. Right. In terms of his shift to the, I mean, he was... Outspokenly. I say that with all due respect if you're watching. <laughs> he was outspokenly on, on the left, sort of very, very uh, verbal about it, and he was picked up, and he, his, his decision to move sort of in a, in a sort of right direction was, was conscious. I mean, it's not just an accusation. It was something that, that he embraced and articulated to, as opposed to something that's kind of been thrown at him 
uh, post-accusation. So you seem to know about it, a lot about it, but how, why, why the move towards the right or the perceived right? Do you I have mean, any? I don't, I don't know that reason. Um, you know, I don't, I don't follow his channel closely. I think a lot of people have said now that he was possibly apprehensive, like given his, the, the way he was in the early 2000s, he was always very sexually explicit, quite obscene. There have been many controversies. Which is common with comedians as well. They gotta find some button to press and right. his, like, like I can't resist saying it, he was shagger of the year in England three She's three gonna say that years, at least four more times row, tonight, folks. Right, and in his books, in his, they're called the bookie works, he is absolutely not trying to hide that at all. He's been, like like people have been saying, he was hiding in plain sight or whatever. It's like, he's never hidden it. And it was part of his charisma and his part of his persona. Not to say that he's always been successful. Like he, he did have problems with heroin, which he's quite open about. And he advocates for people trying to deal with drug addiction. He's done a lot of really good things socially in terms of that type of thing and trying to, to get rid of the shame of it so that people can get help. And he had, he's open about his his addictions and, and all this other stuff and and then worked through that. But he did have to disappear for a while because he was unemployable for a bit. Right, right. Well, I think his last appearance in UK television was, it was some comedy roast show in 2018. And he appeared with Catherine Ryan and she did, it's come to light, she did a, a, a sort of stand-up routine because they all had to roast one another in which she said, well, look, you're basically a sexual predator. And that's when he uh, complained to the directors. And I don't exactly know the details, but then he was off, he was off that show. Um, and that's come to light recently. So I think in terms of why he, his shift towards uh, sort of self-media in a way, uh, or social media, has to do with, some people are saying possible, expectation that there were going to be accusations or allegations at some point and so by going on to rumble in particular and youtube also although that that's been shut down now uh, he could continue to be quite prominent and continue with an income and maintain his audience even post post accusation be provocative. so it was sort of a strategic shift well this is one of the things and we kind of touched on this with other cases before too is like there's i, I know there's some people talking about him being backed by peter thiel on his new uh, ventures that he's engaged in and, and having people like Elon Musk standing up for him. So they're saying this is not somebody who's vulnerable and, and just like, you know, you know, close to poverty trying to make a living off YouTube right. or something like that. Right. And then they've said that in fact, what people don't understand is that despite his public persona, there's claims that he had a lot of power behind the scenes. Like you're talking about him trying to, you know, complaining about certain things uh, on and not liking the way he was treated. So. So the people are going to have their stories like that. And that's one of the weird things when these allegations get made public. All of a sudden, everybody comes out of the woodwork saying, I always thought this person was of creepy. Course. Right? Of course. So let's, let's talk about the effect. I saw that coming. It was, I mean, with, 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 we do like, with brand, it's just so well documented. I mean, it, this is not by no means the first controversy. So you have... I, I mean, love this controversy. It's well, very I, British. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in 2008 it was... People it was, from Scarborough don't speak like this. <laughs> well, in 2008 he, uh, he, he had a, the Russell Brand show on Radio 2 and a pre-recorded episode was aired for who knows what reason by the BBC, but it was in which him and fellow presenter Jonathan Ross left uh, voicemails on the answer phone of a uh, proposed uh, interviewee yes. uh, in which they were pretty lewd and saying d 
discussing how he'd had sexual relations with the granddaughter. It really actually disrupted. It had a very negative impact on her life for many years. Right. Brand did subsequently apologize after he went into some kind of addiction counseling, I think for... Well, sounds like a British shock jock. He's a Howard Stern, right? Like yes. all those stunts. Then there were others sort of over the years, 2012, uh, the Scottish comedian, Billy Connolly sort of reportedly had to uh, reprimand him on set because he refused to let one of the wardrobe assistants leave a room or he wouldn't begin to work or something like that until she exposed her breasts. Um, there were well, the one on the radio. That's that's documented. That's like that's not something that like, you know, because I worked in film for a while, too. And we would hear all these horror stories about actors before they showed up. And then you meet them and they're totally lovely people. Right. right? So, you know, that's that's one of the things about these, you know, things. This is the kind of thing that absolutely comes out in the media. Well, there's they're no the reason, myths. There's they're no the reason myths. not to believe it. Right. But at the same time, this is the difference between between court and, and the, the court of public opinion is people can come out and say anything. Oh, I remember I once met him, you know, uh, 20 years ago, and I, I'm pretty sure he grabbed my ass. And all of a sudden that becomes a part of the record. And right. this is a complainant, even though they might have even said, I'm pretty sure. Right. <laughs> like it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Love yeah. That or I, I heard, you know, a friend of mine came friend up to of me mine, and told me. Yeah. I heard at a party. So what's the problem with this type of evidence? It's not evidence. How about we start with that? Okay. <laughs> Why is it not evidence? Nick? Why is that <laughs> the evidence of... No, why is that not evidence, all this chatter? Yeah, like you absolutely, like these are all stories coming out in the media, the stuff that you're talking That's about, evidence. but in court, why would that not be evidence? Well, it would be hearsay, so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, okay. Admissible to begin with. Because they're out of court statements. Right, out of court statements. Quite often things heard from other people. Exactly. It's bad character evidence. It's where do we can, the list goes on. Well, that's the thing too, is like when you go to trial, there may be 20 people saying bad things right. about you, but there's only four people that you're actually charged with, right? right? And, I, and I'm using big numbers because right, we're right. talking about a situation when they have multiple yeah. complainants, right? right? Where there's like four or five, some of them not quite criminal allegations, but right. you know, bad character evidence. Right. So, and we've seen this in other high profile cases too, where they have like say three complainants that were approved to go forward for charges, right. but then the prosecutor in the States or other places, the Crown in, in uh, any British related countries can apply to bring in other witnesses with bad character evidence, huh. even though they're not charged. So how does that happen? You tell me. It's <laughs> I ridiculous. know, we, we don't think it should happen. It should happen. <laughs> but they can, do, they can do similar uh, facts application. Right. Right. And they can try to bring in this evidence, but but the weight is against them, right? Because right. it's prejudicial, and that's, and that's the difference. Courtrooms are contained environments with rules and procedures versus the court of public opinion. There are no rules. It's who talks the loudest? Well, and this is one of the things that for people who don't get their day in court and are just facing the court of public opinion, there's limitations on what an accused. Strong limitations now on what an accused can bring into evidence. Whereas in the court of public opinion, they can throw out whatever messages they want. They can say anything they want to about the complainants. Eh, that's kind of tapered by how much money you have to do that with. For example, I have a student uh, who's contacted me, university student, some allegation made by a girlfriend, banned from the campus. 
just an outright ban from U of T. No explanation other than, well, she says you might have done this. So he has, he has no money to fight that ban. It's a trespass ban. He's had to drop out of his courses. Um, he doesn't have the, the money, the power to fight that back. He's distraught versus a Russell Brand, who's he's going to have money behind him, obviously. To well, and quite often, especially with historical allegations, you don't have the evidence. Right. It's just, it's just simply, I can say she's wrong. In this case, it's my understanding that there are a number of these complainants, and the research from the journalist does seem to be a better quality than a lot of other cases I've seen, but um, it's my understanding that there are text messages and there, there is some yes. documentation of the allegations. So that's that's definitely a, an uphill battle. So what's the theory for them going to the uh, journalists versus the cops first? Have you, what have you heard about that? Uh, so I, you read that. I think a lot of the victims were slightly intimidated by... Complainants. Uh, excuse me, complainants. So uh, <laughs> intimidated by... <You'll> learn. Uh, <laughs> by Russell Brand's uh, power, his perceived power. Um, one of the complainants did, in fact... Uh, contact either Brand's agent or his uh, some representative complaining of uh, alleged incidents uh, and of of sexual violence. I think that I think that was the sixteen uh, the sixteen year old uh, complaint. Well, she was sixteen at the time uh, of having an alleged relationship with Brand, and now she's I think in her early thirties. And she complained uh, to his representative and then received a very prompt response from Brand's legal team saying you, our client uh, won't be extorted, you're, you're trying to get money out of our client and so on. Um, so her point of view, I think, was she was concerned she wouldn't be believed or, or the allegations wouldn't actually go anywhere. Um, it, you know, it can be quite difficult for police, I think, in the UK to, to bring anything to trial or to prosecute. Um, I think, you know, the case of Jimmy Savile, uh, sort of renowned uh, somebody pedophile, shown to be a yeah. pedophile posthumously, um, but was adored during his life. Right. Um, you know, more like wildly popular, including with the, <laughs> with the royal family. Um, and so people, I think, often will look at situations like that and you can't think, well, you know, they're not, no one's going to believe me. It's, it's, it's not going to work out. I don't get, since, when, since when did going to the police become not a place of safety for complaints? What, like, what's triggered them not, I'm not going to be believed versus going to the media, I will be believed? I don't get it. It was the same question, not just for England, but for... Well, for, for anywhere, anywhere, yeah, for anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like what, going to the police is no longer a safe thing for complainants? I don't understand that. Yeah, so... Well, there's a lot of advocates that put that, that message out into the media, because there's a lot of advocacy, right. advocacy journalism right. going on, right? Where they, you know, and I remember seeing a former judge in Canada write an article for, I can't remember if it was Globe and Mail, I'm pretty sure that's where it was, but she actually recommended as a former judge that people don't go to police. Because what, they won't be believed or they won't? So uh, I'm not sure that it was a, as big of an issue before as it is now where, where, where advocates for what they see as victims are literally telling them not to go to police. I think, uh, you know... Well, you, you won't get a book deal if you go to the police as quickly. Right. Yeah. And in the UK, um, there, there are quite a lot of trust issues, I think, with uh, at least uh, the, the London Met, the, 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 the police... Um, with respect to very well domestic violence or um, you know assault against women, uh, quite a lot of high-profile cases, including Sarah Everard, who was abducted and killed, and uh, by a police officer. Um, I think it was during during the COVID pandemic, and this led to um, to large-scale media interests and protests and. 
I think trust there is sort of probably at an all-time low at this point, um, but I don't know how that compares really with Canada. I think the situation is hopefully different. Well, there, there was a big um, sequence of events too with falsely accused people who it was it became a, a big thing and they, they've done numerous reviews because the police were not turning over material in their possession, which was... Um, which showed messages that show, uh, that completely proved their innocence. And then that came to light. Uh, I can't remember his name, Liam something. And But then there was like, bam, bam, then there were like four cases in a row. And they did a complete review and quite a few um, individuals, some who'd been incarcerated for a reasonable amount of time, were ended up ended up being released because of failures in disclosure. So, so there's problems in, in one direction, but there's also... I thought I think that the UK has been a little bit more advanced in terms of looking into protecting the rights of the accused a little more so than Canada, where in fact they prosecute people. Yeah, for prosecute making false complainants with false. Yeah, we had that on a previous episode yeah. where yeah. that at least they'll go prosecute there. They'll investigate. Mm -hmm. Here, nothing happens. Basically, yeah. it's rare. Yeah, but I did come across, and I mentioned to both of you earlier, uh, I came across a case very very recent that I think is very interesting in terms of these media allegations. Mm -hmm. And that's in Canada, there's a high profile case of a, a minister who's being um, charged and going to trial. And he brought uh, what's called a third party records application. And he wants to have access to, because the one of the, at least one of the complainants, I think more, went to the media, gave interviews, they published big exposés. So he wants to have the, the media outlet, which in this case was Toronto Star, produce their material to him. And they said, no, we've got journalistic privilege. And uh, so they, they have the right to protect their, you know, their interview subjects and so on. And uh, they're being forced to produce those records in court now. And uh, they can make an argument that they shouldn't be allowed, but the judge is going to be allowed to see them and make a determination. Right. So they're not being released in court, they're being released to the judge the for determination. Get right. them Just at so the, we're at clear. This point, right. But the judge will ha look at them and then determine right. if there's probative value in it. Right. Right. And so I, I'm kind of watching this one and you know usually the media wins this type of argument mm -hmm. but uh, they tried to have the decision quashed and then they failed. Yeah. Right. So, um, so this is going forward and in this I would like to see it be successful because I, I think that um, anybody has a right to know what they're accused of and right. they have the right to hear directly what, what the complainant has said. Right. Well, and you really got to question motives going to newspaper outlets versus the police, yeah. okay? If you're going to go to a newspaper outlet and make a bunch of allegations and want to hide behind that, that that's not right, especially if someone's going to get charged. Well, and a complainant can always say about media reports, oh, that's not really what I said to them. Right. That's what the journalist said I said. That's right. Right? So if you don't have that material, so... So and I guess this is one of the main things to try and explain to people about the difference between um, um, media trials and, and, and actual trials. Why do you have a right to disclosure? And how in the world is it fair to an accused individual to ask them for comment, right? right. We're gonna accuse you of all these things, right? right? And it's a journalist giving a summary of the allegations, right. not the actual recording or material. Right. Just a journalist saying you're, you're accused of an individual, I won't even tell you the name, saying right. you did blah, 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 blah. And another one who did says this, what's your response? And they're not allowed to see the actual material. And sometimes they're asked to respond without even knowing who the complainant is. Right, which is nuts. Okay. So why, why is disclosure important? <laughs> Over to you, Nick. Disclosure is important uh, in a legal context. So the, the accused can have full view of uh, 
not simply the allegations against him or them, um, uh, uh, but also the, the evidence that will uh, be used against them in court. So that's crucial for building a full defense uh, in response to those allegations. Um, so I'm yes. assuming it's the same in the UK, unless you know differently. You know, I do not know differently because I only, yeah, but uh, I assume it is too, yeah. yeah. And one of the things that, uh, you know, the reasons that we say people shouldn't give a statement until they've actually gotten disclosure and understand the charges, uh, and this is something that I've seen because I if have... If at all. I have worked with cases that were, you know, people who were being accused in the media. And really one of the tactics that are used by journalists is to try and get you talking. Mm -hmm. And then you might say something guessing who it is who accused you. And then you give them another lead so they can go yeah, find exactly. somebody else because you're, you're, you're thinking, hmm, who might be pissed off at me? Right. Very dangerous right. if you have a long list of and potential. Here's the thing with Russell Brand too, is like people online are saying that they, they know people and again, this is hearsay, but right, right. they know people who were approached by the media saying, we know that you had a relationship. Can you talk to us about yeah. that? And they said, I, w I only had a good experience. And they go, okay, we won't be using Oops, this. Pass. <laughs> pass on, pass on that story. story. Right? Yeah. And that's the question is like, when the journalists report that they have four or five complainants, how many people did they speak to? Well, it's selective reporting. We know that. Right. right? They don't want to report, oh, and we spoke to a number of people who said it was completely respectful. Right. That'll never make it into the report. So this is not like a reasonable overview. Absolutely of, not. You know, and the fact that a number of people are willing to come forward, like we said, there's hindsight. When people read something in the news, they'd be like, oh, I remember meeting him once. Right. And I've, I've talked to somebody who said she wanted to make a, a, a Me Too allegation against a member of a band. And then when she got thinking about it, she goes, you know what? I was actually pursuing him when I went right, there. Right. But in her mind, she's thinking, oh, this is a Me Too story because of the power imbalance. Right, right. And people's memories get affected by what they've now read and they think and they, they can reinterpret their interactions. Huge, we're gonna have a memory expert on an upcoming podcast I to know, discuss so that. It's very exciting. We won't tell you who yet. We won't, we won't say who's. No, no, not even a spoiler or teaser. We might have two coming up, actually. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, famous American expert on mm -hmm. memory yeah well even and, at that. and it's such an important factor now because recovered memories I was gonna say all that's coming back now re what, but it's got a new label repackaged. now what are what are we repackaging it at neurobiology like, of trauma oh my god that's what I even say now. that let alone yeah it's the neurobiology of trauma. neurobiology of trauma it's science it is <laughs> yeah crazy stuff Nick well, you, you have a lot to look forward to yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because Russell Brand's uh, not going to go gentle into that good night, as the poets would say. No, I mean, I think one difference between, for example, um, the, the Russell Brand situation and the uh, John Gameshi uh, trial, uh, obviously he was acquitted there. But you talk about like the, the legal form and then the court of public opinion. In that case, the court of public opinion was was really more damning for Gameshi than than the like the, the the court could ever have been or you know, yeah. imprisonment because his career was over. He was you know that's really it. He hasn't really been anywhere in sight since then. Um, that could be why people also go to the media rather than police, not just it's revenge. It's, um, but I think with Brand, I don't know if his popularity is such that it won't actually be, be have such an impact. I mean, it's, that's difficult to say. You, YouTube have, have shut him down. Um, his, Monetarily, the, he, at least. Yeah. And then, um, but he gave a show, I think, the, the evening after the first allegations broke uh, in the Times and on the Dispatches documentary in the UK. 
uh, it was extremely well attended. He got a standing ovation. People mm -hmm. held banners up saying they support him. So he does have very, very firm popularity. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting case to watch. And uh, so it's, it's kind of, I think it's good to kind of check in on that from, from time to time. But it, for me, it's like the, the way the media is, um, the role they're playing, I, I think should be watched very carefully because when I tried to look up the recent news on it, I saw the most insane hit pieces being written. Of course. Absolute biased advocacy totally. pieces against him. And that kind of a thing, I don't even know why they do it because it just reinforces the conspiracy dialogue right. that's that that he's saying this is all happening for political reasons right so right. we'll see yeah but uh you made it through you made it through you survived you, you, didn't, you didn't even yeah. break a sweat no i i hope not no yeah. you did it <laughs> now you get to do the pillow ritual though oh right right right. don't yeah. forget the pillow don't forget don't forget to he has like, to hold it like screeching in and you it's yeah it's kind of like screeching in except you don't drink you can read the back of this it says the same thing oh i see uh, don't forget to like comment subscribe and share thank you yeah. yes well done thank you